Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Ezekiel chapter 33. It's interesting. When I was started reading this, I'm like, wait a minute. I read that before. And uh, if it looks familiar to you, at least the first part of it, it is because this is the same message that God shared with Ezekiel in chapter 3, which was basically the beginning of his ministry. Um, And could you imagine if Ezekiel, you know, the Lord's giving him a new vision here. I don't know how many years has elapsed since then. But he's like, God, wait a minute. Hello? You know, it's like you've already told me this. Um, I'm sure he didn't say that. Um, And maybe you're thinking that this morning. It's like, wait a minute, what's he going to do? He's going to do the same message again? Um, You know, it's interesting. Uh, Peter, in his gospel, or excuse me, in his letter, he says, you know, uh, I don't mind telling you the same thing over and over again because it's for your good. And so maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this message again. So... Um, starting here in this chapter, though, is a new phase in Ezekiel's ministry, as we see the last uh, up to these, the last 32 chapters, basically, had been warnings and prophecies concerning the nations around Jerusalem and Israel, and also concerning Jerusalem itself. But now, uh, in this chapter, Ezekiel's going to receive word that Jerusalem has been destroyed, and... Uh, and so now his message, his ministry kind of focuses, instead of the, the message of doom on Jerusalem, now he's going to start bringing a message of hope to the captives there in Babylon, a hope that they will return to the land which was fulfilled literally um, at the end of the Babylonian Empire. But also, prophetically, we look forward to the return of Israel, which has happened in our lives' time. Uh, the return of Israel to the land once more and God's final blessings upon the nation of Israel and, in fact, the whole world. And so um, it's an exciting period of chapters to start getting into. I'm really looking forward to some of these chapters because they really deal with some very current events. And when we get to those, I'll be, it'll, it'll be exciting to take a look at that. So here God is recommissioning Ezekiel for this next phase of his ministry. And that's why I believe he's kind of reminded Ezekiel about what, he's, what we're going to talk about this morning. So verse 1, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land... And the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. You know, what, what is a watchman? We, and we did talk about this before, but this watchman basically was someone who was appointed by the people of any particular city, and they stood guard from a vantage point or from a lookout, and they looked out for danger, approaching danger, and enemy, enemy forces or anything that was, uh, would, would cause you know, destruction or danger for the city. And then he was to warn the city. And what God is saying here is if a watchman sees approaching danger and then warns the city, he's basically fulfilled his job. 
He's warned, he's, he's done his job. He's seen the danger approaching, and he's warned the people. Uh, if the sword comes and the inhabitants don't heed the warning of the watchmen, it's their own fault, basically. Their blood is upon their own heads, and he says the watchman will save his own life because he's fulfilled what he's done. Verse 6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So, in other words, the watchman standing there in his lookout and he sees an enemy force coming towards the city. If he fails to warn the city and then the sword comes, the enemy, you know, they, they ransack the city, they, they kill the inhabitants. Uh, the inhabitants, of course, are going to bear their punishment. I mean, they're going to be destroyed by the approaching enemy. But the watchman has failed his job and God's going to hold that watchman accountable for failing to sound the alarm. Now it's the application for Ezekiel, verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. So God here has appointed Ezekiel a watchman over the house of Israel. And I believe that God has appointed you and I to be watchmen in this generation and for this generation. What is our job? Well, you know, after the birth of the church at Pentecost, I mean, the church was just exploding, right? People were getting saved. The Lord was adding to their numbers daily. And as we read in the book of Acts, it was in the thousands. I mean, the church was just exponentially growing. And the Spirit was confirming the teachings and the, t- and the words of the apostles. And so great, mighty miracles were taking place through Peter and the rest of the apostles. And the high priests and the religious elite of that day, well, they were feeling very threatened. And so uh, the Bible says they were filled with in- indignation, and they imprisoned Peter and the apostles in the common jail. And they probably figured, that's it, we've, we've solved the problem. You know, they're out of sight, out of mind. But the Bible tells us at night an angel of the Lord came, opened the doors of the prison, and brought them out of the prison, and then told them in Acts 5.20, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And they did that. And you and I, we've been set free from a prison also, right? We've been set free from the prison of sin, And our charge is the same. Speak to the people all the words of this life. That's what we're to do as watchmen. Peter rephrases it a little bit differently. He says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. I don't normally um, promote movies. You know, I just recently saw um, Son of God. And, you know, it was an okay movie. You know, I I saw it more for an entertainment value. It wasn't like, you know, all fired up about it. And uh, it's not one that I would say, man, you got to go out and see that movie. I I, I won't say that. And I'm very hesitant to say that about any movie because I don't have the best memories. And sometimes there's something in there that's maybe questionable. And if I tell you, go see a movie, and it's like got some swear words in it, or maybe it's got something in there that's like really, you know, like, ugh. Then it's like, oh, Pastor Don, man, he he endorsed that movie and look at it, you know. So I'm I'm like I'm not going to say anything. And to be honest with you, Teresa and I rarely go to movies. Um, 
we usually, you know, just, well, we don't. Um, but we went to see that movie, God is Not Dead. And I don't know, has any of you seen that movie yet? Cool. I mean, not cool that you haven't seen it, but cool that you... I am going to endorse that movie 100%. I encourage you, while it's still playing in the theaters, because it just opened a couple days ago, go see that movie. Especially those of you that are in college. Excellent movie. Um, I was, Teresa and I were talking about it for hours after. Yesterday I was thinking about things in the movie. I was praying about things in the movie. I mean, it was, it was that good of a movie. And so I encourage you, go see the movie. God's not dead. Um, but that's basically, it's a story, and I'm not going to spill the beans but too much, but it's a story about a college person who's challenged by an atheistic professor to give the reason for the hope that's in him in front of an entire class, I mean, an entire uh, thing. And, and it's, it's very, very well put together, that movie. So anyways, but that's what you and I are to do, right? And it's interesting, God told Ezekiel, You'll, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When Paul is uh, giving the institution of the Lord's Supper there in 1 Corinthians 11, when we do the Lord's Supper, I typically quote that passage of Scripture. Um, Paul, also, Paul always says in the very beginning of that, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He says that also later on in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He says in first, uh, chapter 15, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And if you and I are going to be watchmen, and we're going to be faithful watchmen, what we're supposed to be faithful about is what God shows us, and what we see, and what we hear. What do we see and we hear? Well, that's why we're supposed to be in the Word of God. That's why we're supposed to be reading our Bible, and praying, and, and seeking the heart of God. Uh, so that we can know what His will is, we can hear and we can see. Verse 8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, if I take that application and say, well, okay, you're the watchman, I mean, that's kind of scary, right? It's like, that means every person that I come in contact with, I need to share the gospel with. I mean, everybody, you know. Um, what happens if an, if an unbeliever dies and I failed, you know, maybe I, maybe I you know, I just, just for whatever reason, I didn't share the gospel with them and they die. Does that mean God's going to hold me accountable for that? Well, first of all, if an unbeliever dies in their sin and stands before God, he or she is not going to be able to blame you or I as disobedient watchmen, whether we were or we weren't. He's not going to be able to blame us. The Bible teaches us that he had God's testimony in nature. Even if he didn't hear the gospel, he had God's testimony in nature, right? Romans one twenty. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So nature alone is a testimony to mankind about God. Not only that, but Paul also says later on in Romans 2.15 that he had God's testimony in his own conscience. It says there, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So they're not going to be able to stand before God and say, you know what, uh, Joe there didn't share the gospel with me, and so I'm, I'm innocent. I mean, he failed his job as a watchman. 
They're, they're not going to have that excuse. But if you or I are unfaithful watchmen, we are going to be judged. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be judged with regards to salvation. Because you've received your salvation in Jesus Christ. But you are going to be judged with regards to rewards. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. He says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet, as, yet so as through fire. And so we will be judged, and, and it's be in regards to rewards. Verse 9, Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We are not responsible for anyone accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, that is a load off of me. I mean, that's a load, it should be a load off of you as well. We're not responsible for the results. We're just, you know, we're just responsible to give the message, to be the watchman. It's the Holy Spirit who does the convicting. And so that really frees us up. All we have to do is bear a witness and, 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 and give a testimony of the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. I think Paul had that in mind when he met with the uh, elders of Ephesus there on the shoreline. And he was talking to them in Acts 20, 26. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And he's like, you know what? I, I, I gave it all. I didn't hold anything back. And so I'm innocent. That's one of my goals here as a pastor of Calvary Chapel, uh, Calvary Chapel uh, Rochester is to go through the Word of God. Sometimes I get to passages of Scripture that are uncomfortable to teach on. But I have to be a faithful watchman, and I have to just say, this is what God's Word says. You're responsible for how you, how you, you know, respond to that. I've delivered the message. I fulfilled my job. And so um, I'm going to move over to the side there. And do you want to start up that presentation? There's just something I want to show you. It's uh, kind of a little bit of show and tell. I'm going to move over here so I can get out of the way. You know, as I was thinking of the message, I just thought, you know, that reminded me of something. And uh, that happens to be your pastor there when I was about 18 years old, believe it or not. You think I was, I, I, it's like I'm, I'm twice the guy now, I mean, weight-wise, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was me. And uh, so when I got out of boot camp, I got stationed up in Oregon, on the Oregon coast, at a place called Umpqua River. And uh, it was a search and rescue um, station there on the, on the rough Oregon coast. And uh, so there was a lighthouse there. There was a small boat station. We would go out and do search and rescue. Um, you want to go to the next slide? One of my jobs was one of my, and we rotated through it, but one of my jobs was to be a lookout to be a watchman for the Coast Guard. And so um, it'd be like four hours a day, you know, on regular shifts, basically. You'd go into this little shack there on this bluff overlooking the ocean. And uh, Umpqua River, it's, uh, when I talk about a bar, I'm not talking about like, you know, 
Twinkies or whatever those bars' names are in here in town. But, you know, a river bar. It's where the river pours out into the ocean. Um, so I had to watch over the bar. And uh, uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. That's what I had to look at. So if you see the, the two jetties on the far right there, um, that was where the Umpqua River dumped into the Pacific Ocean. And it looks pretty calm there right now, um, but it typically wasn't. Anyways, so my job was basically I had to report what I saw and what I heard. And so there'd be fishing vessels that would come down the river, and they would go past the bar and go out into the ocean. And so as they were going through, I'd have to log down the name of the ship or the name of the boat and uh, the time that they came through and whether they're going in or coming out. If there was any freighters or any kind of ship that went across the horizon that I could see with my eyes, I had to record that. Um, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, you think about it like this aircraft, this airline that's missing. You know, if they could have tracked it at different places, they would know where it's at. But unfortunately, they, they, you know, for whatever happened, they weren't able to. So I was supposed to uh, report anything that I saw. And it was funny because you would watch people walking out on those rock jetties. I mean, you know, you love doing that, right, going out there. And sometimes these waves would come over. And so, you know, you had to pay attention. Like, there's a guy out on this thing, and I'm going to watch him the whole time because if that wave comes over and washes them into the ocean, we got to call the Coast Guard out to rescue the person. And so that was what I had to do as a watchman. It was one night, I remember, I received a call, a mayday call, because we had uh, Citizens Band Radio. We had, uh, oh, you can go to the next slide, actually. We had uh, Citizens Band Radio, a little periscope or telescope, uh, binoculars. Uh, uh, we had CB radio, FM radio, uh, different things. Uh, that was before cell phones and satellites and all that stuff. Well, there, there was probably satellites, but we didn't use them. Um, but anyways, uh, I remember one night I received a mayday call from an aircraft, a small light plane that was going down. And I'm like, oh! And it turned out, and I'm pretty sure it was on the CB radio that I heard the call. It was down in Texas, and somehow I had picked up the signal all the way over there in Oregon. So, of course, you know, made some phone calls, and you know, people found out about it and stuff. I probably wasn't the only one that heard it, but you don't know that. Um, and so there was also, and this is kind of not part of the message, but there was also a, 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 on one of, the, one of the days there was a surfer that was surfing out there, and uh, a great white shark attacked his surfboard and took out about a 10-inch chunk out of, his, uh, out of his surfboard. I remember they brought it to the station and showed it to us. But uh, anyways, um, just like that watchman, or just like that person sitting there uh, in that room there, you know, we're to report what we see and what we hear. Whatever we see, what we ever, whatever the Lord shows us, we're to report. And we're also to be discerning and truthful. Now, you can't see it, but out just past the bar at the end there, there was a, uh, a whistle buoy. And a whistle buoy is a just, it's just a tall buoy. I think it was either six or 12 feet high, something like that. And it, it just made a whistling sound when it went up and down with the swells, just to you know, warn people going out there. Well, from my vantage point, I had to stare at that whistle buoy. And uh, when, it went under, when it went through a swell, I would basically, I could tell how deep the swell was, because if it went down four feet, you know, there would only be a certain amount of buoy showing. Um, if it went down beyond it, I would count how many seconds it had gone down and how many seconds came up. And there was a little formula. You could say, well, you know, we've got eight-foot swells today. And I had to report those 
give a give a give that report to the uh, to the station and they broadcast that to the fishermen and the reason why is because that river is actually a very shallow river and it's very treacherous. And what can happen is if they go out there and the swells are too big, uh, it's, have you ever heard of it? It's called pitch pulling. And what happens is a bow of a fishing vessel or any kind of ship going out there, uh, if the swell's too deep, it would actually, the bow would actually hit the sand on the bottom and then the swell would just literally flip the boat over upside down. Um, and it's called pitch pulling. So it was, it was important that you gave an accurate uh, description um, about the weather or, you know, the, the conditions there. And so you had to be discerning. And, you know, you and I, when we're sharing as a watchman, we need to be discerning. We need to pray and ask the Lord to give us discernment in the situation. A perfect example of that was when Paul was uh, uh, before the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and you know, all of a sudden he discerned, of course that was the Holy Spirit showing him, but he discerned that half of them were Sadducees and half of them were Pharisees. And Paul was a Pharisee and he knew the beliefs, the teachings of the Pharisees. And he said, so he said, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And you see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels and stuff. They didn't believe in that. The Pharisees did. So all of a sudden the Pharisees are like, hey, what do you mean? Yeah, he's one of us. You know, he's, there's nothing wrong with the guy. And then, so it was basically a riot, but, but that was discernment that the Holy Spirit gave Paul for that. You and I are to be discerning, and we're also to be truthful. And sometimes truth hurts, right? Sometimes, But we need to speak the truth in love. Um, another thing that I had to do, and you know, I, I've never experienced it, was they said, if you ever see a line on the horizon and it's moving uh, towards shore, report that right away. You anyone know what that might be? Tsunami, yeah. Of course, I never experienced one there. But uh, so, you know, you're watching that because uh, if a tsunami's coming, you had to warn people, you know, you had to give the alarm. And, you know, you and I as watchmen, we see danger approaching, don't we? Uh, if nothing else, the biggest danger is that there's a day of judgment coming for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to warn them about that. Hey, there's disaster coming if you don't give your heart to the Lord. Not only that, but we look at the signs of the times and we can see the... You can't see that, can you, Luke? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I just realized I'm kind of blocking some of the people there. Um, go, to, go ahead into the next slide there. Now, that's just a little ways down the road. And uh, that calm ocean there, uh, it wasn't always so calm. It was pretty dangerous. So I just thought I'd throw it in there. You can't see it, but on the top there of that bluff, there's a, there's a, there's a tree, the very foremost tree. There's actually a guy standing in front of that tree. So he's maybe five, six feet tall. That wave is probably three or four times taller than him from the top there. So, you know, it's some pretty rough seas there that they would have there. So, um, that was just, that's a freebie. Go ahead and go to the next one. <laughs> so I'm back to this one. And I ended on this one for a purpose. Do you see what it says on the sign there? Coast Guard lookout, no visitors. When we were in standing that watch, you had to pay attention to what you were doing. You had to watch. You, had to, you couldn't be distracted by people. You, you had to focus on the... I mean, that was your job. You had to report faithfully. And uh, you and I were not to be distracted in this life. 
And there are so many things that distract us. 1 Thessalonians 5.6 says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so, you know, that job, uh, it was a lonely job because you just sat in there all by yourself four hours a day. Um, and, you know, as watchmen, you may be the lone watchman in your situation. You may be the lone watchman in your class. In that movie that we watched, there, there was one person that was the lone watchman. You might be the lone watchman in your workplace or in your family. Um, but that doesn't negate the job that God's given you and I to do. He saved us for a purpose. You know, our lives are not our own. So, you know, it wasn't always a bad job either. There was its perks. Of course, you got out of doing other stuff, so you could just sit there and watch the ocean. And I love watching the ocean. You wouldn't believe how many beautiful sunsets I got to see. Not only that, but I was stationed there during the winter. You know, the winter is when the male, oh, males, when the, <laughs> summer's when the males migrate. No, in the winter is when the whales migrate. And so um, they would come up right into the river there and they would be breaching and, and it would just be fun to watch the whales playing in the water. And so I had my parents, you know, I could watch them real close up and stuff. So it was a lot of fun, but it was an important job. So I'm going to go back. That's pretty much it. Thank you, Vonda. Moving right along. Verse 10. Therefore you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus, you're, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? And, and really, I think what they're referring to is that verse in, in verse 5, that you know, if you, if you turn from your sins, you will live. Um, and here's the answer, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Do you sense God's heart in that? I mean, he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know, Peter tells us that in his letter. God is a God full of mercy. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, if you're witnessing to somebody and, you know, God answers prayer and, and you, you know, a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm like, well, I want to pray the Lord's will. I guarantee, I, I can guarantee unequivocally, if you pray and say, Lord, I, I pray that that person gets saved, you know that that's God's will too. You're praying God's will. He answers those prayers. I hope that encourages you to pray for your loved ones. Pray for those, your acquaintances that don't have a relationship with the Lord. My wife, you know, she was the only saved person in her family. She was the only watchman for many years. She prayed faithfully for her sister for 20 years and 20 years. And she would come to church with us. She heard the gospel over and over. At some point she said, you know, I, I, you know, I, I hear it, but I'm just not ready to make that decision. I'm like, okay. But then there came a time where she was ready to make that decision. She gave her heart to the Lord. That's through prayer. God honors those prayers. So I want to encourage you in that. Verse 12. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. 
As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. Now, you've got to remember, this is the Old Testament, and we're not talking about the believer's righteousness that is only found in Christ. What I believe he is saying here is a person's past righteousness, his own righteousness, wouldn't deliver him in the day that he sinned. And, you know, the truth is, once a person sins, they're condemned under the law. James says it this way, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. He's a lawbreaker. He's violated the law. And the fact is, no one's been able to keep the whole law. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. So, kind of doomed there, right? But then he says, a person's past wickedness wouldn't be held against him in the day that he repented from his sin. This is the Old Testament we're reading. Verse 13. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. It's interesting to me, even under the Old Covenant here, God is pointing to man's need for righteousness that is outside of himself. Even in the Old Testament, God is revealing that to his people. Verse 14, again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Again, this is the God of the Old Testament. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the truth is, God has always been a merciful God. You know, some people say, well, you know, I, I read the God of the Old Testament. And there's all this blood and sacrifices and killing all these people. And, you know, that, and then we have Jesus who says, you know, turn the other cheek and, you know, love your enemies and stuff. And people go, you know, there's two different gods you're talking about there. No, we're not. We're talking about one God. And God is a loving God and a merciful God. Listen to Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know, the old, co- old Covenant, really, there was a purpose behind the Old Covenant, and it was to reveal man's sinfulness. It was to reveal our inability to keep the covenant. It was to show us that there was nothing that we could do to earn our own righteousness. And so God, in His love and in His mercy, provided a way for us. And, contrary to what people today say, there's only one way for righteousness, and that's only through the person of Jesus Christ, right? Because God sent His Son who knew no sin to be sin for us, the Bible tells us. And uh, God's punishment for sin, you know, God's still a just God. And, and He fulfilled His justice by pouring out His wrath on Jesus Christ who took our sins upon Him on the cross. So God didn't sacrifice or didn't compromise his justice. He justly punished Jesus Christ. But God's also a God of love, 
And he fulfilled that love by sending his son to die for us, to pay the price for us, excuse me, pay the price for us. And when you and I confess our sins and repent, which means to turn away from them, the Bible says our sins are washed away. And then God sees Christ's righteousness. He doesn't see our righteousness. I'm not a righteous person. I guarantee you. Ask my wife. (laughs) I'm not a righteous person. But when God sees me, he just sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees righteousness. I don't see it. I look in the mirror and I go, man, I'm a louse. (laughs) And my wife says, yeah, I agree with you sometimes. (laughs) Not always, but sometimes. But God looks at us and sees Christ's righteousness. I love that one song that we sing. It's, oh, the great love of God. You know, that he would do that for you and I. Verse 17. Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Isn't that that just typical? I mean, God tells man to turn from his sin and live, and man turns around and says, God, you're not fair. You know, today people say God's not fair. They say, how can a loving God send someone to hell who's not heard the gospel? Maybe people that are involved in missions, you've heard that before as an argument. You know, If they haven't heard the gospel, how can God, a loving God send someone to hell? You know, I don't know exactly how God judges those people uh, who've never heard the gospel. Now, I did mention Romans, right? We, they have the testimony of nature, and they have the testimony of their, own, of their own conscience. But exactly on what basis God judges someone who's not heard the gospel, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't really know. However, whenever you and I fall on things that we don't know, and you know, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that I'll just be playing with you. I don't know. What do you do? You fall back on what you do know. What, what do we know? Well, we know that God is righteous. We know that God is merciful and loving, and we know that He's just and fair. And so whatever God's judgment is or His decision is, it's going to be the right decision. I can guarantee, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to have all the answers. I just trust that God's righteous and that he's fair and he's loving and he's going to do the right thing. But you know, when you think about it, that's really a hypothetical situation, right? You know, it's interesting, and I have heard that argument before, but I've never heard that argument from someone who's never heard the gospel. The only people that have ever said it to me are people who've heard the gospel, and they just don't want to believe it. And so they go, well, you know, what about this? (laughs) Hey, that's a hypothetical situation, because the fact is, you've heard the gospel, and you're accountable for it. And we're going to be judged accordingly. Verse 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that uh, one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. So now they've received the news of the fall of Jerusalem. Because remember, Ezekiel's in Babylon. He's been prophesying to the, to the captives. There was like three waves of captives from Jerusalem over the years. Um, and so he's been, he's been prophesying to these captives. And now he finally hears word, Jerusalem has fallen. Verse 22, Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man who came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth so that when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. 
If you recall back, I believe it's in chapter 24, God had told Ezekiel at that point, I'm going to make your mouth mute until you receive word of the fall of Jerusalem. And, and it was approximately about three years that Ezekiel was not to speak. He was writing his prophecies out, but he wasn't to speak them. God used Ezekiel as a witness in many, many ways. And we've looked at some of the, some of the bizarre ways that God used his life for his purposes, right? God had him kind of build this little clay, you know, model of Jerusalem. And then, you know, guys, we'd have fun with that. You know, you you build a little thing and little ramps and showing the armies and stuff. And then he basically did a little mock-up model of the destruction of Jerusalem. That would have been a fun task to do. Some of the other tasks that weren't quite as fun, he had to lay on his side for, I think, like 18 months on one side. And then he got to flip over and lay for another three months on another side as a witness to the people, as a sign to the people. That would have been a little bit tougher than just playing with little you know, toy soldiers and stuff and toy Romans and stuff like that. One of the toughest things that he was called to do was his wife died, and he was not to mourn over it. And it was, it was, it was a testimony. We, we talked about that when we were in that chapter. God may call you as a watchman to some difficult things. But there's a purpose behind it. And you have to just trust the Lord. Sometimes people come to me and say, you know what, this is going on in my life. And, and I, I just start shaking. It's like, I don't know what to tell this person. And so you always have to fall back on what you know. God's good. All the time. All the time, God's good. Trust Him. Verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, They who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. So apparently there were some survivors of the destruction of Jerusalem that were kind of scattered there in the land of Judah, and uh, they didn't learn from all that had happened. They hadn't learned their lesson about what had happened to the nation. They were comparing themselves to Abraham and uh, basically saying, you know, he's only one person, and God promised him the land. Look, there's, there's a few of us left, and we're Abraham's descendants. We, you know, God's promised us the land. Well, here's God's answer to them, verse 25. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? God's word to them was, Abraham was righteous before me, but you're not. They had violated God's laws by eating meat with blood still in it. That was one of God's dietary laws that he had given them. Basically, what they were doing was they were ignoring God, how God wanted to be worshipped, and they were worshiping, worshiping him in their own way. Well, yeah, God's, God wants to be worshipped this way, but you know what? Ah, that's old. I, I want to do it this way. People do that today all the time. They want to worship God in their own way, not according to what God says in his word. They were idolaters. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, just a side side note. Uh, I got this book from Voice of the Martyrs and just uh, this couple days ago, and I started reading it. And uh, it's a story of, like, I think it's three generations of North Koreans who uh, were just Christians throughout that whole terrible period of time. And one of the comments that they made in there, which I didn't know, they said, North Korea is the most idolatrous nation in the world. 
And I thought, wait a minute, I thought they were the most godless nation in the world and stuff. Well, it turns out every North Korean has to worship Kim Sung Yin Il Moon or whatever the guy's name is. They have to worship him as God. They have to sing songs of praise to him. They, they, you know, the, the college students, they have to write a thesis on his quotes and stuff. They said that, they, that, that North Korea has basically created a counterfeit Christianity that they have to worship. And he says, they're the most idolatrous nation on the face of the planet. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. It's a fascinating book. Um, anyways, I think it's called These Are the Generations, and it just came out. So the, the, these people here were idolaters. They shed blood. In other words, they were violent. It says they rely on their own sword. Well, that basically means that they were trusting in their own strength and their own abilities, and they commit abominations, and they were adulterers. And yet, they're clinging to God's promise to Abraham. But the problem was they had forsaken Abraham's God, and they were living their lives apart from him and still expecting a blessing. There's people that do that today, too. They, they, you know, I've got my fire insurance. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But in the meantime, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. You know, at least I got my guarantee of salvation. Well, I tell you, that's, a, that's shaky ground to be on, I tell you. Verse 27. Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the ruin shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence, for I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. As for you, son of man, verse 30, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you besides the, beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word of the Lord is, uh, what the word is that comes from the Lord. So Ezekiel, he's become a very popular person there among the captives because his words, his prophecies have been coming true. And they're like, man, you know, God is speaking through him. Let's go and let's listen to what the prophet has to say. Verse 31. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Notice in verse 30, God calls them your people. Moses had that whole conversation with, with God out in the wilderness. God says, hey, your people are, go back down off the mountain. Your people are, uh, you know, worshiping idols. And God said, Moses said, no, they're your people, God. And God goes, no, 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 they're your people. They actually had that argument there on Mount Sinai. God calls tells Ezekiel, his, they're your people, basically. And he's basically saying they love to hear you preach. You're entertaining to them. Uh, they give, you give good slideshows. <laughs> but they're not doing what you tell them. You know, it's interesting, uh, this last Friday, or just a few days ago, um, I was asked to perform a funeral, someone I didn't know in Austin, Minnesota. 
And uh, it's kind of a long story of how that came about. But anyways, I did it. I prayed about it, and I felt like that was what the Lord wanted me to do. So I went to this church and uh, met the family. It was a very lovely family. It was. I'm glad that I did it. Um, so I, I shared, you know, I shared the gospel. I figured, you know, these people don't know me, and uh, they're not part of our church. Or, you know, even if they were, it wouldn't matter. But I'm like, I'm going to just share the gospel. And uh, if I offend some people, so be it, you know. Um, but I was, I was. Hopefully, you, Teresa can testify to. It. I was tactful. I mean, I didn't, you know. You, you got to be graceful during a funeral, of, of course. So I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be rude, you know. And I want to comfort, comfort those that that have a relationship with the Lord and stuff. But had to share the gospel. It was interesting, and I, you know, I don't know at all because I don't know the people. I don't know where their hearts were. But I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and say, man, I just love listening to you. And, you know, part of my flesh is like, oh, cool. At least I didn't, you know, they like say, man, what a jerk or something. But the other part of me said, you know what? And I was thinking about this passage of scriptures like, you know, I don't know if I really want you to say that you love listening to me. I'd rather you say, man, that, what you shared really touched my heart. Can I, can you, can I pray with you to receive Christ? Uh, nobody said that to me. <laughs> But, you know, someone some say, I love your preaching. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, you want to be gracious. But, but it's like, well, but what about the message? That's more important than the messenger. So Jesus told Ezekiel, these are your people. John 8.31, Jesus said this to the Jews who, believe, who believed him. It says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It's not just hearing God's word, but it's obeying God's word. It's by living in God's word, abiding in it, that you become his disciples. It's not what you hear, but how you hear the word. Jesus put it very well, as only Jesus can. In uh, Matthew seven twenty four. he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's more important about how you hear than what you hear. James says this in chapter 1, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. It's like, you know, you look in the mirror and you go, Oh, yeah, I got, you know, and then you walk away and go, Oh, I don't remember what I look like. When you and I hear a word of the Lord, or you hear a message and the Holy Spirit speaking to you, if you don't respond to it in your heart, if you don't put it in, apply it in your life, you're going to forget about it. You know, it's the same with learning just about anything, right? Uh, you get you, someone teaches you something, then you know, if you're like me, I have to do it before it really sinks in. And until I can actually do it myself, then you know, I can, you can tell me everything about how to do something, but until I actually do it myself, that's when it, it sinks and it becomes mine. And then it's like, okay, now I know how to do it. It's the same with the gospel. The same with reading the word. You know, if you just read the word and then you, go, oh, that was an awesome message, and then you go away and you never change, you never respond to it, it doesn't do you any good. You've deceived yourselves. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't always a pastor, and there were times when I would go and hear an awesome message, but I never did anything about it. 
it didn't do me any good. If you don't respond to God's word to, to you today, if the Holy Spirit's speaking in your heart and you don't respond, this message is just fluff. It doesn't do anything for you, although it will hold you accountable because you've been told. But James continues, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And I believe everybody here wants to be blessed. I'm sure everybody here wants to be blessed. If you want God's blessing on your life, then be a doer of the word. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer.